Hey, somebody said Happy New Year. Anyone ready for it? How many are ready for a new year? It just seems like in the last couple, two, three years, we've been excited for a, you know, a new one. I'm hoping that sometimes we, sometimes there's just some things in the year behind us that we're glad to leave in the year behind us. But also New Year's is about, it's always about anticipating something new, something fresh. And I know as well as you do that all that has happened is that the calendar has changed. We all live in the same, well, some of us have moved, some of my team has moved, but in metaphorically speaking, we all live in the same place. Well, gosh, the Huffs have moved as well. Everyone is. Anyway, but although most of our lives are in general similar, um, this is a time when people begin to give themselves permission to imagine the future differently than the present or the past. And any time we give ourselves permission to do that, that's a good thing. You need to give yourself permission to imagine tomorrow, the future, differently. Brighter, better, stronger. When you imagine the future better than even the present, that's called hope. And on this first weekend of the year at Heritage, we always begin by asking one another to look through the lens of faith and consider what can be and then take the first step toward that. If we will, if we will look through the lens of faith and then act, almost nothing will be impossible for us. And the only reason why I say almost is I just don't want to think, well, I'm going to imagine that I can fly and then jump off the roof. We're going to make sure that we consult the word of the Lord. We use the scripture as our lens of faith, not uh, marvel. Join us. If this is, if you're uh, within the last uh, year at Heritage, welcome to our tradition of looking thither. Once there was a great kingdom. This kingdom was known throughout all the lands for its splendor, for its magnificent buildings, its great and terraced gardens and bountiful farms. But through time, all that changed. Now the once great buildings were falling down and in need of much repair. The farms were now small and did not grow enough food for the kingdom. The poor villagers would oftentimes go to bed hungry. The people of this kingdom were not just poor by way of material things. They were poor in spirit for there was not much joy in their village. There were no dances around the maypole. Rarely was music heard, except for the simple pluckings from the lute of a traveling minstrel now and again. 
Worst of all, the people had forgotten why their kingdom was once great. Now, the king of this land did not look as you might think a king should look. He did not have a magnificent throne. He did not have a golden crown inlaid with jewels. He was the king of a poor kingdom, so he, he looked quite ordinary. His castle was always cold and in need of repair. He had very few servants. He did, he did not even entertain the kings of other lands, for he was greatly ashamed of his own. To the east of this unhappy land was a beautiful kingdom. With great farms and glorious cathedrals and castles, there were lovely gardens adorned with fine sculptures and sparkling fountains. Night and day, the breeze from the city walls carried the most exquisite music and exciting, enticing scents of perfume and the, ooh, the smell of delicacies. For there was an abundance of food in that land. It made the people even more unhappy to look upon the wealth of their neighbors, for despite their poverty, the people prided themselves on having once been a great kingdom. The king did not often leave his castle, for he was worry, weary, weary of the complaints of his subjects. One day, as he sat down to a meager dinner, there came a knock at the castle door. The king's servant opened the door to find an old man with a large oak walking stick. He wore a cap, and he was carrying a leather canister. Hail, said the old man. I'm, I'm passing through your kingdom to the, to the village on the east, and I'm in need of an inn to stay the night. The servant responded in disgust. This is no inn. This is the king's castle. To which the traveler responded, It doesn't look like much of a castle. <laughs> but the servants, the, the, the traveler said, Well, I am in need of a place to stay, and I should like to stay here. The servant replied, Well, you must check in with the king. So he said, Lead the way. The servant led the old man down a dark, cold hallway to the king's dining room. The king looked up from his meal as the traveler entered, and the traveler said, You are the king of this land? I am. You do not look like much of a king, he said. Well, I'm the king of a poor kingdom, he replied. Our farms do not grow. Our buildings are falling down. My people weary me day and night with their complaints. And have you seen the price of gas? <laughs> There's so much more to say, but... We were once a great kingdom, but all that has changed. The old man nodded slowly and said, Why do you not change back? 
change, the king replied. We tried that, only to fail. For we, we lack the knowledge of what once made us great. You lack but one thing, the traveler replied. And if you'll give me supper and lodging for the night, I will on the morrow show you why you failed. The king looked at him thoughtfully and then motioning to his servant, offered the traveler a platter of cheese and bread, and they dined in silence. And as the king laid in his bed that night, he wondered if the traveler had tricked him. The next morning, the man came to the king in his throne room and said, You have lived up to your part of the bargain. Now I will live up to mine. Follow me. The king followed the man to the castle balcony where the old man brought out a long, round canister and pulled from it a brass tube. It was a spyglass. He raised the spyglass to his eye and looked out over the land until a smile cascaded across his face. And then he handed the spyglass to the king and said, Not bad. That's for the newbies. He handed the spyglass to the king and said, Look thither. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell it. Uh, years and years ago, I have someone in the back. You know, I can always hear you talking. You think I can't, but I can hear you. And we said, someone in the back said, did he say look thinner? <laughs> As your faith is. He handed the spyglass to the king. Look thither. The king looked through the glass, and he could see great farms and gardens and magnificent castles and cathedrals, and he lowered the spyglass impatiently and said, I have seen the wonders of the eastern kingdom, and I have heard far too much from them. You are mistaken, said the traveler. It is your own kingdom that you see. king again raised the spyglass, and this time he, he recognized the hills and the glens of his own kingdom. But where there had been barren pasture, now there were fields of grain stretching as far as the eye could see. He could see his own people were in the field. Their, their wagons were overflowing with harvest. You are a wizard, said the king. It's a trick of the glass. It's no trick, said the old. But when the king put down the glass, his kingdom looked the same as it did before. Nothing has changed, he said. No, said the traveler, change requires work. But one must see before doing. The king again raised the glass. What greatness this kingdom holds, he said. You have seen what might be, said the traveler. Now go and make it so. After two harvests, I will return for the spyglass. 
Well, the king on horseback went out into his kingdom, and he rode out until he came to the edge of a once beautiful garden, now overrun with weeds and thistles. A group of villagers were standing outside of its fence, and their children were playing in the dirty road. Why do you not use the garden, the king asked them. Why, it's not fit, sire, replied a woman. So it is not, agreed the king, but it could be. Look, the king held out the spyglass and by one by one the villagers looked through the tube at the garden and the weeds and the thistles were gone. And the lawns were lush and inviting. But when they put the spyglass down, the garden returned to its overgrown state. It's an amusing device, said one, but it's of no use. No use indeed, said the king. And he began to, and he got down from his horse and he began to pull weeds with his own hands. And when the villagers saw what he was doing, they too began to pull up weeds until they had uncovered a large marble statue of an angel with its wings spread looking toward heaven. And the people stared at the statue in silent awe. At length, the king mounted his horse. But before he left, he said, you have seen what might be, now make it so. The king rode further down the road until he came to a farmer sitting on the ground, threshing grain with a small flail. How goes it, man, the king asked. The weary farmer barely, barely looked up. Can't grow even enough to feed ourselves, sire, the farmer sadly replied. The king lifted the spyglass from his coat, Come hither, my good man. Behold your farm. The farmer lifted the eyepiece to his eye and gasped. It's sorcery. You have seen what might be, said the king. Now make it so. Farther down the road, the king came to a crumbling cathedral, and the roof had rotted, rotted and fallen in, and it was no longer safe to enter its arched doors, and there were tents pitched outside where a congregation had gathered. The king rode his horse up to the tent, and the, the friar who stood before the people stopped speaking at his approach. All turned to see the king. Why do you meet in tents, the king asked. Why, sire, our, our cathedral has fallen. It's not safe to go in. Well, why have you not rebuilt it? Well, we are few in number and poor. But have you shown your congregation what could be? The king asked. The friar looked quizzically at the king and said, well, what might that be? Look thither, said the king handing him the spyglass. The friar looked through it, and he saw a new cathedral, larger than the one before, and it's decaying, and, and all of its decay was gone, and it was replaced with elaborate, adorned, beautiful sculptures, and there was room for people to meet, and they didn't need four services. There's more, but i got to keep reading. <laughs> the friar stared in awe and said, By the grace of God, I have seen a vision. 
You have seen what might be, said the king. Now go and make it so. Day by day, the king went out until he had visited all the people of his kingdom and shown them what might be. Though there were those who would not look through the glass. And others who refused to believe what they saw. The greater part of the villagers looked with wonder and hope. And that same year, there was a plentiful harvest. And the farmers filled their wagons with barns and grain. But not just the farmers prospered. There were, there were wagon builders that were busy building wagons to carry all the grain. And the millers were busy milling the grain into flour. And there were consultants that were consulting on how to do things better. Music and dancing again filled the streets and old majestic uh, uh, old buildings were repaired and, and new buildings arose, including the beginning of the most majestic cathedral in all the land. And as promised, two harvests later, the traveler returned to the kingdom. He almost didn't recognize the castle for so greatly had it changed. The scarred wooden door he had once knocked on was now new and intricately carved, and the castle's cold chambers were warmed with heat and music, and the king was attended to by a bevy of servants, and the king was dressed in lavish robes, and he warmly welcomed the traveler. My friend, he said, I have awaited your return. Look what prosperity your spyglass has brought my people. Let us make merry and prepare a great feast in your honor. The traveler replied and said, You have done well, but I cannot tarry. I've only come for my spyglass, and then I'll be on my way. At this, the king frowned and panicked. He said, but in, but in the two seasons, since you blessed us with your arrival, we have accumulated much treasure. In exchange for the spyglass, I will trade you all the gold in the royal coffers with men and wagons enough to carry it to wherever your destination is. You have spoken wisely, said the traveler, for the gift of the spyglass is worth more than all the gold in all the royal coffers in all the land. But keep your gold. You no longer need the spyglass. But there is still so much to be done, pleaded the king. Yes, replied the traveler, but you no longer need the spyglass. You can see without it. How is that possible, asked the king. The spyglass only showed you what could be if you believed, for it was only faith that you and your people lacked. The king shook his head in disbelief. How can this be? Faith is faith foolishness so said the fool replied the king replied the old man faith he said is the beginning of all journeys it is by faith that the seed is planted it is by faith that the foundation is dug it is by faith that each book is penned it is by faith that each song is written. Only with faith can we see that which is not, but can be. 
The eye of faith is greater than the natural eye, for the natural eye sees only a portion of truth. But the eye of faith sees without bounds or limits. I had not supposed, said the king. And that is why you once failed. But faith is why you now succeed. And he placed his hands on the king's shoulder and said with a smile, You have seen what might be. Now go and make it so. And although the old man and his spyglass were never seen again in the land, the the kingdom continued to prosper and became again the great kingdom of old. Yet despite their abundance of food and their beautiful buildings and their lush gardens and their majestic cathedrals, it was ever said after of that kingdom that their greatest treasure was their faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 and James chapter 2 and verse 26. Hebrews 11, 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And James 2, 26 tells us that faith without works is dead. So then, here is what is true. Faith lets me see and then leads me to act. Why don't we all say that sentence out loud? Faith lets me see, then leads me to act. As we close this morning, let me just ask these couple of questions. What does faith then, what does faith let me see? Two things. First of all, faith lets me see what can be. Hope. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Somebody say hope. Hope. Faith searches the storehouses of the word of God and finds hope. It finds hope for today. It finds hope for tomorrow. It finds hope for protection. It finds hope for provision. It finds hope for direction. There are too many things to list. The Word of God is filled with and landscaped. It is, it is ripe with promises of if we will trust or if we will obey, then God will act. If we sow, we will reap. If we trust, He will guide. And our Lord Jesus said in Matthew 7, He said, if we will ask, we will receive. And if we seek, we will find. And if we knock, the door will be opened. Faith lets me see what can be. It's, it goes shopping at the storehouses of hope. And the shelves are never empty. Faith lets me see what can be and then act with hope. But faith also shows me what will be. Not just what can be if, but what will be when. Faith leads me to act not only because of what is possible, but it leads me to act because of what is certain. 
Faith is the certainty, the conviction, the proof of what I do not yet see, but it lets me see what will be and then live with a steady, resolute, fervent perseverance. Here's just one example. What will be? What will be? Matthew, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, but let's pick it up for the sake of brevity. Let's pick it right up at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell. Somebody say will. will. He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God will be among them, and he, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This will happen. This will happen. You can't stop it. Faith sees what will happen. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things passed away. With perseverance, we endure the pain and the persecution and even the problems in this life. We are not overcome because our perseverance strengthens us because we know what will be. We keep working. It continues. Look at here, verse 5. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Somebody said all things new. He said, I'm making all things new. He makes and he will make all things new. Therefore, you and I persevere. We keep working to restore. We keep working to redeem. We keep working to rebuild. We do not honor the one who makes all things new by accommodating decay. We honor the one who makes all things new by continuing to restore and to renew because we believe in the great renewal to come. We persevere. And then verses 7 and 8. He who overcomes, somebody say overcomes. He who overcomes will inherit these things, but I and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and sexually immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Faith perseveres in righteousness knowing that there will be a final and horrible judgment on wickedness. But there will be a great and eternal reward for those who overcome by faith. So we look thither. Let's go to that next slide. We must look through the lens of faith in the year ahead. Someone say we must. We must look through the lens of faith. For some, for some, this year, the spyglass has grown heavy.
feels almost too heavy to lift. Disappointment and heartache and even grief have weighted down the spyglass, the lens of hope. For others, the the clutter of uncertainty and coming change has blurred our sight. And others just may be numbed by this, the long season of routine. But friends, it is for those very reasons that we must look through the lens of faith. It is for those very reasons we must once again lift this lens and look thither. Moreover, friends, there is still yet too much to do. We have too much responsibility in front of us. We have too great, still too great opportunity before us. We cannot abide leaving things the way they were or the way that they are. But you and I must lift the lens of faith and see by faith what can be. And then take just the next step to make it so. Let faith show you what can be and what will be. Let faith lead you to hope and perseverance. Look thither. You have seen what can be. Now go and make it so. Let's stand together. Great yeah. is thy faithfulness. Great, Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy Thank you.